Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'd like to begin this podcast by recognizing the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders past, present, and those emerging. Can you, can you hear out of those? Yep. Hell yeah. Know what you're doing? Oh, yeah. Such a pro. Rough idea. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm going to kick it. That's all right with you. That's all right with me. Kick it. Kick it off. Hit it. Kick it. <laughs> kick it right off. Kick it right off. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Nature or Nurture, the podcast where I talk with fascinating people about key milestones that made them who they are today. I'm joined by someone who I watched, I remember, on a show called The Hollow Men, and I was such a big fan of him and thought he was one of the funniest people I've ever seen. I've since gotten to know him a little bit, and he is hilarious and has done incredible things. I'm a big fan of this guest, actor, writer, comedian. Stephen Hall, welcome. Thanks very much, Sam. Great to be here. (laughs) It's so amazing to have you. And you are someone who does a lot of different things. And we're going to get into that as well, the things that you push yourself to do. But the first question I ask on this podcast, Stephen Hall, Mm. is do you think that nature or nurture had the greatest impact on you? I'd I'd have to say uh, a mix of both. And um, nurture, in in my case, was um, pretty much single-handedly done by my mum. And uh, my dad left when I was six and my sister was four so we had a single mum growing up and um, her influence on me can't be overstated and uh, and she sort of taught me a lot of things about how to live not by teaching but by doing it by just leading by example about you know kindness and generosity and, and having a go and all sorts of life lessons like that uh, so yeah um, I think I would go I, I'd say 60 40 16 16 60 40 in the nurture nature debate I told you before we started that you didn't have to have an answer for every question if I ask and now you're going to I love that you're doing ratios now yeah good. yeah <laughs> I've worked it out to the point that's right stats I'm a stats man now for, for you when was your mum working during that time when she was raising did she have lots of different jobs she no she she was working yes mm. but she uh, was uh, uh, interested in in science and um, but took a job in a high school uh, in the in the as a lab tech uh, so that she could have school holidays with us and right. and so on. So she um, put her own sort of career and ambitions on hold a bit to to raise me and my sister. So uh, but we always had school holidays together and she worked school hours and uh, so she was uh, as present as, as as she possibly could be while uh, still putting food on the table. Yeah. What, what was it like growing up in, in the house? Where, whereabouts did you grow up? I lived in, in Rosanna, in, in Melbourne's uh, sort of northern suburbs, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was great. We lived in the first – we lived in two houses in Rosanna. The first one was really close to a park and we would go down the park with our friends and, and it was, you know, we'd muck around in the creek and collect tadpoles and all of those sort of really great wholesome things and – walk the dog and muck around and just go exploring and things like yeah. that. And uh, it was it's quite, looking back, it's quite uh, idyllic and we were quite independent by today's standards and today's parenting standards, I guess. Yeah. Were you quite creative growing up? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was always sort of writing stuff. I liked drawing and um, and I was in choirs and bands and I, I joined the Heidelberg Theatre Company Youth Drama Group. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was always um, a show-off, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. <laughs> what about your sister? Was she like that? No. No, uh, I got all of that, yeah. and she she's the same one, and uh, so her career is was more in um, uh, banking and finance and that sort of yeah. stuff. So yeah, uh, all of all of the um, the theatricality is condensed in me. <laughs> what about growing up with friends? Like, do you remember making a first friend or your first friendship group that you had? No, oh, that's an interesting question. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, 
Probably, yeah, kin- kindergarten, I guess, and friends of the family. And uh, I remember Matthew Galetti, who uh, Matthew climbed trees and ran around, and he was he was just a real daredevil and was getting, you know getting into accidents all the time because he was just you know ten times the energy that I had. Yeah, and I would laugh at him because he was very funny. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I was I was his audience really, I guess. And he grew up to be a tree surgeon. Uh, <laughs> So he's still climbing trees to this day. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, when people have I, – I, I'm friends that grow up that you kind of never really the funny one or the, the person that people expect to go into. Go into was that for you, do you think? Do you always have really funny people around you? Um, yeah, I guess. Well, you try to seek them out, don't you? Because it's it's just, it's just fun to be around, I suppose. And, mm. uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean – the, the enduring friendships are the ones where you have loads of laughs, and, and aren't they? And, and when you have loads in common and you can make each other laugh and there are shared, outdated in-jokes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's such a big part of life, laughter, isn't it? So, Did your did your mum take you to, like, any classes or anything? Was she always really supportive of you to, to be involved in music? And, and what, what was the first kind of creative thing that you did? I think it was probably, well, mum, as, as a... As a hobby or a sideline, she was an actor as well, and right. there, and there was a there was this private private like a, a, a pro- sort of prof- semi professional theatre company called Tate Theatre in um, in uh, in Carlton in the city, and mm. uh, so she was in a few plays there. It was one run by a man called William Bates, and me and my sister got dragged along just because sometimes they weren't babysitters and stuff, and yeah. I, that's where I caught the bug and I was I was about six or seven and uh, we would be there with all in the rehearsals and putting on wigs and dressing up and all that sort of stuff and all the actors were just playful people playful yeah. playful grown-ups who enjoyed sort of mucking around with us and putting on being characters and turning into lizards and whatever um, so that's where I got the bug but my sister remained immune right. uh, <laughs> uh, so and then after that um, yeah I, I got involved in Heidelberg Theatre Company's youth workshop um, and uh, one of their alumni is this bloke called Ben Mendelson. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. So there we are. <laughs> what was your first acting role? Um, what was my first acting role? Probably under Milkwood uh, in 1981 when I was 10 or 11, I think. And the Heidelberg Theatre Company put on a production of that and I was one of the kids in that. And yeah. Uh, it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Well, did you have other ambitions? Were you thinking of being an actor? Yeah, I was. When I saw Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> I I thought, oh wow, you can. And when I found out that they were acting and they were actors, yeah. And, and I I just thought, well, that's the best job in the world. You can yeah. do that, and people, you can dress up and be someone else, and you get. And movie stars are all rich, yeah. So uh, <laughs> nothing could possibly go wrong. Why aren't more people doing that? Turn, turns out more people are. Uh, and yeah, so from a very early age, and I loved, I loved you know, comedians, and um, and so yeah, I just thought, oh, I, I want to do this. I really do. And and uh, so I, I I haven't grown out of it yet. Did you want to be a serious actor, or did you want to? You said you always yeah. Like I wanted to be the greatest actor in yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I do remember once asking, when I was very young, asking my mum, now, who's the greatest actor in the world, please? And <laughs> please. I like the please after. Yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah. nice. And I think, I think she said, oh, Lawrence Olivier or something. And that was, okay, well, I'm going to be better than him. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> That's my benchmark. Just one better. <laughs> That's my benchmark. <laughs> did you go to acting school when you were? Uh, uh, after that? No, I, I didn't. I, I did a few... Various drama classes, but uh, after after high school, I went to university, La Trobe University, did a humanities degree, but mm-hmm. uh, studied a lot of drama there. But that's more an academic thing; it's not vocational. It's not about the craft of acting. It's mm. about studying texts, texts, and and performing, you know, excerpts and things. And but um, yeah, not a vocational. Yeah. Course. When did when did you decide to to move in that direction? What, um, in 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 drama, instead of you know going and. You know, at university, when did you decide to move into acting? Um, oh, it it had been a natural thing after after I left high school. I had a gap year, and I, and I was just ambitious. and And it was, and it was Ben Mendelsohn who was quite a role model because he was in the Henderson Kids in nineteen eighty five, and I just thought, oh, I want to do what he's doing. And after high school, when I was seventeen or whatever, uh, I went and. Knocked on a lot of doors, got an agent, and got headshots done, and you know took took the all around everywhere. At the same time, I started writing and performing stand up, 
um, I did my first stand-up gig about a week before my 18th birthday. Right. And um, So young to start doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah. I'd been going to stand-up a bit and getting in because I'm tall uh, and, and while being underage. Uh, and I remember seeing some comedians thinking, yeah, I could, I could do that. Actually, I could do better than that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the, the arrogance of youth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I did it. and uh, But I never really stuck at it. Stand-up's really, really hard. Mm. And and you would spend, I would spend all day fretting about my five-minute um, set that night. Yeah. And then, you know, you can't do anything that day. And you don't get paid or anything. It's, it's And it's just a day worth of worry for five minutes of ecstasy sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it was fantastic when it goes well. And, and it usually did. My strike rate was pretty good. But, um, uh, yeah, I never really stuck at it. Who were the, who were the first people that you saw that you really liked? Um, Andrew Goodwin and Tim Smith. Oh yeah, right. And uh, they were very kind to me, and, and they sort of mentored me a bit too. Um, Gina Riley, um, Rachel Berger, uh, Russell Gilbert started around the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Greg Fleet. Uh, who else? Peter Rosethorn was great, and he, yeah. he sort of he was and uh, was another mentor who was very kind to me. He still is amazing. He's, I saw him a little while ago. Oh, really? He's yeah? still so funny. Is he in, he's in Perth? He's he? in Perth, yeah, but he yeah. comes over. Okay. He did something at the Comics Lounge a little while ago oh, and wow. he's still gigging. And now his daughter is in, in comedy. Is that right? Yeah. Ah. Fra- Frankie or I think it's Frankie. Yeah, he's in, he's in comedy. Oh, fantastic. But so, yeah, so you were doing stand-up and did you kind of treat it as a, I mean, at the age of 17 or well, you turned 18 just after your first gig. Yep. How long did you how long did you do that for? I did it sort of on and off for 3 or 4 years and I went yep. went away and came back and did some afternoon Sunday afternoons I think it was at the SB in the Gershwin room mm. and uh I, yeah and I did a few gigs at uni. I remember doing one at uni when I was 20 and that was 45 minutes of it was everything I had every yep. every last single scrap and um uh, I, that is that is <laughs> that is captured on camera for posterity, uh, and you know there's some stuff where I absolutely cringe nowadays, but some stuff I think, oh yeah, that sort of I understand what I was thinking there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, and the, oh, Dave Hughes was you know starting out around the same time, and Will Anderson, and uh, and Dave Hughes, I really admired his ambition and work ethic. Because you know, on the on the face of it, he had a, this very lackadaisical character. But gee, he worked really, yeah. really hard, so hard. He's um, someone that's still very funny as well. Yeah, like still really works hard. And had Michelle Laurie on the podcast the other day, and she was talking about him because at one point I remember he was doing he was doing stand up every night. He was doing breakfast radio, and he had about four different TV shows on the go at once, goodness. and was just sleeping on the floor in between. Radio segments, <laughs> which doesn't seem healthy. That doesn't seem healthy to me. No, and he's got a family. He's too. got a family. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you kept going. You kept, you know, working, working, and were you doing stand up? Well, what were you doing for for money at that time? Good question. Um, uh, well, I was trying to be an actor, and then a, a few times I just thought, oh no, this is too hard. This isn't working. Uh, and I became I. I a friend of mine from school got me a job as a cleaner at a post office mm-hmm. and um, then I worked my way up onto the front counter at the post office and then I became a postie. So I was a postie in – I remember being a postie and also writing for Full Frontal. Um, wow. That was – which uh, you mentioned uh, Dave O'Neill before and, uh, yeah, he very kindly got me and uh, my friend uh, and colleague Rastus Finn Hedger uh, writing gigs on, on Full Frontal in 96 and so – that was the beginning of the foot. That was the foot in the door, and so I would be getting up at four forty-five in the morning and doing my posty round, and then coming home and writing gags and faxing them into uh, Doug McLeod in it, uh, in full frontal. Did you did you always have an ambition of writing, or was that just a thing that you kind of learned from stand up? No, they're they're, du- they're sort of dual ambitions. I wanted to do. I've mm. always wanted to, you know, have a foot in both camps because yeah, just I, I love writing so much, and mm. and I'm endlessly fascinated by. Language, language, and words, and the order you can put them in, and what you can make words do. Hmm. What, uh, what? Who was your inspiration in in terms of writing? Was there anyone that kind of mentored you in that in that area early on? Um, I guess, I guess when we were um, 
when we got our foot in the door at Full Frontal, there was there were there's Marco Tool and Anthony Watt and uh, uh, Sean. Sean and Gary, you know, Sean McAuliffe and Gary McCaffrey were getting loads and loads of things on and they sort of had the lion's share of the show after a while and um, week after week I would just be in awe of that strike rate of, oh, jeez, how, how do I become more like that? Yep. So it was just sort of – but it was just watching and admiring and sort of trying to analyse and reverse engineer and pick up their tricks and and the more you do it and the older you get and the more – flying miles you get up you have you do have tricks and shortcuts and um things that you're pretty confident will work and you know a, a filing cabinet in your brain of types of gags it's just that it's that's that you know the more you do it and that's the ten thousand hours maybe mm. it makes you become an expert which is an arbitrary figure but uh, <laughs> i think there's something in it yeah absolutely Where, what was your first professional paid uh, acting gig my first professional paid acting gig was in a TV commercial mm-hmm. for Compare Dishwashing Powder. Yep. Uh, it's not there anymore. I don't, I don't, it's, a, it's a Not on the show reel anymore? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, it's, it is on the show reel. Right. I've got it. Um, but it's, you know when they say, oh, blink and you miss it, um, it it's even less than that. Right. It's, so <laughs> the, the, the concept of the ad was uh, it's a, a speech at a, at, at a wedding and um, – the man holds up his glass and says, I'd like you to raise a glass to the bride and, and he notices some spots on the glass and so he says, the bride and spots and then it's hilarious. And uh, <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> uh, and everyone sitting at the table has spots for some reason and they think that he's talking about them. Oh, like, right. Like the, the father of the bride spilled some food on his shirt and he's got spots there and someone else has got pimples and they're self-conscious about that and... I, I, I was a waiter going past in the background who had been scoffing the food and, and I had spots of tomato sauce on my top or something like yeah. that. Um, so we each got our reaction shots and our cutaways and in the end they decided which one to use and it certainly wasn't me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can see a shape moving past in the background and that's me. <laughs> Where do you go from there after, after getting your first commercial? Oh. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> One way ticket, please. <laughs> yes, indeed. Have a look at this. <laughs> Compare dishwashing powder, my friends. I'll write my own check. Um, uh, more of the same, and mm. uh, flying doctors. And, and I was, I was a, a tall, red-headed um, boy who could be, uh, well, either threatening or vulnerable, and, and and so I was a policeman or a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I got a few gigs in Flying Doctors, which is a weekly drama show that they don't make anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, Neighbours, I. I and uh, just, I was knocking on doors. I did a general audition for Crawford Productions, which doesn't exist anymore, and, and a general audition for Grundy's and, mm-hmm. and all of these um, avenues. And so from time to time I would get a gig while still working at the post office. Uh, how long did you work at the post office for? Um, how long did I work? I ended in 98 and I started... Hmm, Ninety-three or something, right? Like that. Yeah. Did you have a reason to quit the post office? Was there a role that you got that, that you ended up quitting? Yes, uh, I got a job, a, a full-time job as a writer on Denise Drysdale's afternoon show on Channel Seven, which Ding was Dong, Ding Dong, which is which was called Denise. And uh, so, yeah, after writing on Full Frontal and in Melbourne tonight, it was Rob Menzies who was writing for Denise, and he sort of got me on board, and I did that for a year. But that was like. Five days a week, driving, yeah, right. driving into South Melbourne and um, riding for this half-hour afternoon show, which is five days a week. And, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was a bit of a, a baptism of fire. When you see the good and bad in people in the industry. And I remember a young, meeting a young producer in there and thinking, wow, you're a producer. You're not much older than me. You must be really, really good at what you do. No. Nah. No. Turns out, no, no, absolutely not. And a horrible person. Wow. Horrible, mean, cruel, bitchy, sarcastic, awful piece of work. Uh, but, you know, played the game and rose to that level. How have you stayed out of that? Because cause the industry can be quite a toxic environment at times. How have you kind of kept a level head through everything and always always never let that get to you? Um, I don't know. Hmm. It, it's... Um, there, oh, there are times, and, and I remember on that particular show one time just saying, uh, excuse me, I just have to go to the bathroom and going in there and, and crying and, right. and weeping and weeping and weeping and just thinking, oh, this is all too hard, why am I doing this? Mm. Because there was, there was workplace bullying and all sorts of horrible stuff. Uh, <clears throat> 
But, um, you know, they lose in the end. They lose in the end. Yeah, yeah. What was your first role that you started thinking, you know, I'm really getting the hang of this. This is what I want to do. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is the arrogance of youth, but it might have been... It might have been in Melbourne tonight when we were, which is Frankie J. Holden and, again, Denise, um, 97, which is a quite short-lived um, uh, reboot of the, the classic Graham Kennedy show. And I'd, I'd been writing gangs for Full Frontal for two years, 96 and 97, and I thought, oh, well, they've got me on board. I, you know, I think I can do this, and I think you know, they've got me here for a reason. I wouldn't be here if they didn't think I could do it. And mm. so, you know, rise to the occasion. And, um, you know... You learn so much, and I've learned so much since then, of course, and continue to. But uh, yeah, that was the time when I thought, well, I'm I'm at the big table now. Yep. Mm. Well, you went on to play uh, Bert Newton in the wonderful uh, telly movie, The King. Uh, for you, for you taking on that role, was that was that an intimidating thing to take on? Because I always find when people do a role like that, they take on something like that. It would be very hard to go, am I doing an impersonation of that person? How did you feel going into play Bert Newton? Yeah, it was intimidating um, and and it was, a, it was a big deal. I, I didn't originally audition for it. I auditioned for another character and then they saw my audition and they thought, you know what, we should get him to audition for Bert. Right. And, um, and they didn't and I got it. But... Uh, yeah, it was really exciting. I'm yeah. really, really thrilled. And and having Stephen Curry uh, as as my sort of colleague and and mentor and what he does in that, he's sort of never off screen and he's just brilliant. Yeah, and he won so many awards and as as he should have. Mm. But but also he was so he was a great teacher in how to be when you have that position of responsibility because he was always. Charming and carefree, or apparently carefree. I mean, he can't be carefree because look at what he had to do. Yeah. But um, just a delight to work with, mucking around in you know, wardrobe and makeup and, and everybody's friend and, and really just high-spirited and endless energy and just I thought, ah, that's how you conduct yourself. That's how you yeah. do it. That's how you do it. That's a really good um, a, a role model to follow. But um yeah, doing Bert, I don't know. I remember going to the well, – when we did it and the direct, there were some takes and the director would say, that's good. And I would just say, really? God, I don't know. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I nailed it. I did what I thought was right but in that particular scene. And then going, being really nervous and going and see this opening night premiere thing that they had in Fed Square at Acme. And because um, I, I, either they sent me a preview DVD – and I didn't watch it, or they didn't send me one. I don't remember, but I hadn't seen it before, which I probably should have. If I had, if I had the opportunity, I should have, yeah. um, you know, acquainted myself with it because I was really, really nervous on the night um, watching it with everyone else in the yeah. in, in the big theater. And then later, I get to I got to meet him, um, the great man, and uh, he was just charming and delightful, and mm. said, "Oh, I haven't seen it, but did you enjoy it?" And I thought, "Of course you've seen it. Of course, yeah, of course you have." But you know, let's not have that conversation because he he didn't want to have that conversation, and because he wasn't um, officially involved in the production, because mm. he made a promise to Graham way back when that if he he wouldn't be involved in any biopics or whatever, wow, and he just kept that promise, um, and that was fair enough. One of the tidbits I found out afterwards that. Um, they, they considered Matthew Newton for the role. Uh, really? Yes, to play Bert, to play his dad, which would have been really interesting. Uh, that didn't that didn't eventuate, and I'm glad it didn't. Oh, yeah. For my yeah, sake. Yeah. <laughs> for my sake. But uh, what an interesting idea. Yeah, and that's not the only time you've had to play someone that you would have been nervous about. I mean, you played uh, Basil Fawlty yeah. in, in uh, the wonderful Fawlty Towers, the live show. What was that experience and? Was that was that a job that you went for that you were unsure if you were going to get that or where did that where did that come from Was it left to field for you um, Yeah, well, who, who would have thought? I, I wouldn't have thought that John Cleese would adapt his play and start it in Australia. Yeah, for, for goodness sakes, and yeah. it's right on our our, our doorstep. I'd I'd done Spamalot about nine years before that, where I played the John Cleese roles, which I think probably uh, didn't hurt at all. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he. And and when I heard that it was coming to Australia, I said, you know, my agent said, do you want to audition for this? And I said, hell yeah, yes, please, please. Yeah. And I just did as much homework as humanly possible and I just went in there 
with the attitude of, you know, bezel or bust, uh, all or nothing. And um, they, there was quite a rigorous audition process and you had to learn loads and loads of stuff. And then um, it's, it got more and more real and they flew me up to Sydney for the final round. And, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, then I was very nervous about meeting John and uh, it, it, he was just charming and delightful and, and there were was, there was some... Some moments in the in the thick of it, and we did 151 performances over wow. seven months or something, um, eight shows a week and all that. And there are some moments in the depth of it when I I just had to remind myself not to look at the big picture because this will blow your tiny mind. Just one foot in front of the other, and then afterwards you can look at it. And looking back on it now, um, that really was something. And uh, and there's a there's a gr- YouTube video of him coming into my dressing room and congratulating me, which we will always have and that's a very precious uh, wow. souvenir and and we do a little gag and stuff and uh, gives me a hug and yeah amazing what are for you doing 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 a show that intensely like uh, my good friend uh, Rob Mills has just been in hairspray and right. I've seen him you know through all of all of that it's so interesting like the I don't know how he's done it eight shows a week the intensity of that you know he always thought talks about Dr. Footlights what for you how did you get through that I mean it is such an intense schedule was that something you were used to I mean from Spamalot I guess you would but it being the lead in in something like that was that was that in a really intense learning curve yeah there's quite a few people depending on you mm. and I mean you do have a you do have a cover in case something go, and, and uh, yes I had the brilliant uh, Andrew Johnston is, is my cover but um, uh, once once you're through rehearsal and rehearsal is the really really hard part once yeah. the show's up on its feet and you've learned it and it's in the muscle memory and you know what you're doing um, I, it, yeah Dr. Footlights that's the thing it's it's fun yeah and once everything is fallen into place you just and I remember standing behind the the door about to enter at the start of the show and the set is the, is the Faulty Towers Hotel and, and I entered through the front door coming in from outside and um, with the newspaper under my arm and I, and I just remember every almost every time thinking, this audience is in for a treat, let's do it. And it's that great, it's that great wonderful anticipation of we are going to share something really great with them, they are in for a treat and that's, it, it's it just, it's fun once you, yeah. and I remember um, talking to, someone who talked to a gold medalist runner mm. uh, about her gold medal winning run and she said it's fun you know once once were you, were you were you worried about the pressure in that big run no no it's fun if you've done all your preparation and everything once you get out there you remember why you got into it in the first place and uh, it was a very odd thing to hear a, a gold medal winner say about their gold medal winning um, performance was that you know it's, it's fun I love this yeah. After that, what what was your? Did you take some time off after after doing that, or did you roll right into the next thing? Um, what happened? What was that? That was the start of start of twenty seventeen. Um, oh, I, I was doing Matters Hill, uh, and so Matters Hill that at the same time. Yes and no. Like they gave me the time yeah. off, and that was I think series four into series five. But um, I, I came back and wrote the Logies. I'd been writing the Logies a bit. Yeah. So uh, after that. Yeah, I wrote the Logies and then went into season six of Mad as Hell or wherever we were at. But they were very kind to um, let me go away and come back again. Mad as Hell. How long were you on Mad as Hell in the end? Um, uh, f- f- well, 14 of the 15 seasons. So, yeah, yeah the, show start, the show ran for 10 years. Yeah. And, I, and it, in 2012 it started, I was on the writing staff mm. and popping up from time to time on screen. And then in series two, they invited me to join the cast, uh, and I said yes, please. And <laughs> and so yeah, since season two, yeah, I was just in the cast and not writing, and uh, yeah, so that was fourteen seasons in total. What, yeah. a, what a what a gift. That, that's just finished recently. So I mm. had a drink with Emily. I think the, a few days after she was out, and you know, and she was you know, it, it, it would be so hard looking back and saying that was a ten year job you know like mm. a 10 year job unheard of unheard of yeah how mm. does it how does it feel coming out of something like that do you do you take a moment to look back yeah yeah and there was you know coming up coming up to the end of it i'm sort of trying to put it out of my mind trying to put it out of my mind yeah 
and and similarly with faulty towers, as as the end grew ever closer, I was saying, you know, don't mourn it before it's gone. Yeah, and and it's a very important thing to to, to tell yourself. I think just to you know, you can plenty of time for that afterwards. You can mourn it after it's gone, but mm. um, but in in retrospect, now I just think. Um, I celebrate the fact that it was here and what a wonderful thing it was for so long and and what a good thing we put out into the world and the show spoke truth to power and and it never never shied away from that and it got angrier and angrier as we went along and it gave a real kicking to some people who really, really deserved it. Scotty from marketing. (laughs) Do you have a favourite thing that you've done when you you look back at the moment? Is there a favourite thing that you've put together or, or done? Um... Good question. I'm. Uh, I was really pleased with how my novel turned out, and also when Symphony I had Symphony Under Siege. Symphony Under Siege. Yeah. That's right. Available now on Amazon. Um, <laughs> it's such uh, a funny, such a funny, well-written book. Oh, thank you. Also, when I had the stupid idea to do the th- three Indiana Jones movies in a one-man show, which I thought, oh, this. If this doesn't work, that's going to be a, a, a cold and lonely hour on stage. Yep. And uh, you're not in your bedroom now, Poindexter. Um, <laughs> but uh, when that worked, that was very satisfying. Um, we did a show called Bondorama. That was very satisfying too. So it's those, it's those writing, performing things where you back yourself and it works. Yep. Um, of course, it was wonderful to be in Faulty Towers and, and Spamalot and Mad as Hell. Um, but the, the things where you really step off the edge and then it – and you you don't plummet, you fly. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 the, they're the moments, I reckon. What does your mum think of um, you getting into into this world of showbiz? Yeah, she well, she's she's no longer with us, but um, at, at at my wedding, and um, she, you know, she always always encouraged it mm. and and everything. And she made a speech at our wedding, and she said uh, as part of her speech, um, oh, you know, growing up, I, I told Stephen, you know. Do do whatever you want, and you can do anything. You can you can put you you can achieve anything you put your mind to, and you know you should just go for a career and 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 doing what you love. And, and she said, oh, "Yeah, a career, but but not that one." <laughs> Big laugh. Thank you very much, Mum. Uh, She's here all week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Did she come so, to come to a lot of your shows? When yeah. She was here? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was yeah she was a fan, and um, yeah, it was it was quite a quite a regret that she she died uh, about six years before Faulty Towers. And so on the opening night, and I was <laughs> very emotional after the show, as we, yeah. all, as we all were, and I w- went up to John Cleese and he came up to me and gave me a big hug and I held on a bit too long. And uh, I was sort of crying and not crying, but I was sort of blubbering a bit. And uh, I said, oh, I wish my mum could be here, but she can't because she's dead. And <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> Don't say that to John Cleese. And he just sort of kindly patted me on the back. And <laughs> Don't say that to John Cleese. But it was emotional. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I, she came and saw Spamalot. Um, but um, yeah, she, uh, she died at the start of 2014. So um, yeah. Yeah, she, there's 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 a number of things that uh, I would have loved to have shared with her, but um, them's the breaks. What about in your family? Do you think that trait has um, has been passed on? Do you think that you know that anyone will get into following following your footsteps? Yeah, well, we ha- we have a we have a daughter, Lily, who's sixteen now, and mm. she yeah she she has grown up around um, the industry um, mm. because yeah, my wife is a writer and producer and television and. Uh, so yeah, Lily has done a fair bit of acting, and she's got herself an agent, and uh, she's also a drummer in a band, yep. so in a couple of bands. So, yeah, she she likes she's comfortable on stage, and and um, so she's you know she's at the age of sixteen now, so she doesn't know, but she yeah, it appeals to her, and, yeah, and she's she's seen all the good side of it. She hasn't seen the heartbreak and the waiting by the phone, and uh, yeah, sure, she's seen she's seen all the good side. So yeah, she's. Yeah, she's had a, a, a sort of quite a, a filtered view of it, I guess. Yeah, were you were you worried about her getting into getting into that industry? Oh. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You want to spare people disappointment yeah, and cruelty. You want to spare your child, all that. But, um, yeah, she, but also, who am I to say? You know, it's her life and uh, she's got to find out these things. And, yeah, um, yeah it's not the most... It's not the most stable you know, <laughs> career sure. in the world, as a, speaking as a parent. Yeah. Yes. You turned into your mum. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Exactly right. I have written down some uh, questions, uh, Stephen Hall. I'm very professional and I've very written, good. Down some, <laughs> written down some questions. Um, general knowledge. <laughs> general knowledge, Great. that's right. Yeah, I've got an A, B or C and you can guess which Excellent. one. Excellent. What trait in people do you find the most admirable? Um, kindness, I think. Mm. Being being kind and and... You really, you really do notice it, uh, or I do, and and I am very mindful, and I try to be kind. And I think if if kindness and empathy and compassion, I think if I mean it's it's a silly thing to say, but if they were taught in school, if if they were second nature, we would just wouldn't recognise the world. Yeah, there's, there's we just there's so little um, ingrained kindness and compassion and empathy and. Just, just you, you think about particularly, particularly the the patriarchy. Come on, man! You, everyone, yeah. everyone, we're all just babies. Once upon a time, we're all the same. Just, yeah, you know. Yeah. If you could choose to be born into an environment, what would that look like? If you could, I guess, if you could create that perfect environment to be born into. Oh, I think this one. I mm. think I think my I, my own experience. I wouldn't trade it, uh, and I'm fully aware that I'm. You know, I'm a middle-aged straight white male and I'm at the, you know, in the lottery, I'm lucky. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm very aware of that and I loved being born. I loved growing up in the 70s and 80s and, and uh, yeah, and I love all the convenience of things that we have now and, uh, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I certainly wouldn't want to be there's, – there's nowhere – the grass isn't greener. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite thing about yourself? Goodness. I, I hope, I hope I'm, I, I hope I'm kind and fun. And I'm trying to be wise. I want to be wise. I'm in my fifties now. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be a bit wise. Trying to be a bit wise. <laughs> um, favourite thing about myself. I hope I'm fair to people, and, and I hope I, I hope I hope I greet people in a in a positive way and give people the benefit of the doubt until yeah. until they prove that you should do otherwise, and often they do. Yeah, but you got to you got to come with a you know an open heart. Yeah, if you could change one thing about yourself, would you change anything? Yep, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would either be totally buff and ripped, and, yep. and without with like four percent body fat. Yep. Or I would not care that I'm not buff and ripped. Sure, okay. Uh, and, and I'm not 4% body fat. I would, I would either love to have a body that I absolutely loved or not care so much about my body and what's wrong with it. Yeah, sure. Mm. Uh, who influenced you the most? That can be career or it can be personally. Yeah. Well, I mentioned my mum before. She showed me, showed me how to live. Um, but in terms of, you know, I was a big fan of Monty Python. Yeah. And uh, and then I got to work with two of them. I mean, that's real dream come true, mind blowing stuff. A- and a lot of a lot of, in terms of my sense of humour, a lot of English stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, and and American stuff too, but largely English. My dad was English. Right. Um. And so he introduced me, like when I was very little, to do you. Benny Hill and Dick Emery and Monty Python and all mm. those things before, you know, he, he went away. Um, Did so you ever have contact with him when he after he left? Hardly. Yeah. Yeah, not much, not much. Um, he left, yeah, as I say, when I was about six. I tried to – and it, I wasn't kept from him or anything. Yep. I tried to spend time with him and, and it took ages to get into my head that he just wasn't that interested. Right. And I would, you know, can we can we get together this weekend, Dad? And, and – um, you know, after a while, it eventually dawned on me that you know, he just didn't want to be uh, involved. So I think the last time I saw him was at my 21st birthday. 
Right, okay. Um, so he still lived around? He still no, lived he lived around. in Adelaide. Okay. I, we lived in Melbourne, he lived in Adelaide. And uh, he came over for that and had it, said a few words to him then. But And then I don't think he died like eight years after that. And I don't think I'd seen him in those years. So, yeah, very much. Did okay. you go to his funeral? And No, he didn't have one. Um, he, uh, well, he essentially drank himself to death and had right. a... Had a he was cremated at the expense of the state, and we got his ashes in the end. I think, uh, yeah, we well, we did get his ashes in the end, but there was no one to, you know, he didn't sort of have many friends or anything. Did your sister try and have a relationship with him? Um, yeah, 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 but same, yeah, same thing, same, same. Just he just wasn't interested in either of us. Yeah, yeah. the The other thing you talked about there was that you actually had another experience with another Monty Python. Um, if you call them, if you call them that, uh, what was the spam a lot? Was that was that that would have been an amazing experience as well? Yeah, wonderful, yeah. wonderful, and yeah, again, I just having grown up like with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which spam is is an adaptation of. Mm. I remember being a big fan of that film, and uh, yeah, my dad raises his head again. He took us to see uh, it, mm. uh, and I was far too young. Uh, <laughs> and it would have been so hard to understand. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> The coconuts as horses was funny, oh, sure. yep. and 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 I the the black knight getting his arms and legs chopped off is funny because it's like a cartoon. Yes, and that yep. he's not really, really, it's not real. No, um, but you know, jokes about oral sex, I did not understand. No. <laughs> uh, I was like six or seven, man. Um, what was Eric Idle like? He was he was lovely. He was, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he sort of flew in and flew out, right? And and, and the first well, the first time I met him was after the show, and and so and. He came into the dressing room and said congratulations and hello. But he had a camera crew with him because he was doing some, you know, documentary for well, some, you know, marketing promotion thing. Yeah, right. And so it was a very sort of unnatural conversation. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he gave gave me a big hug and, and said some nice things about about my performance and, and uh, yeah. So it, it, fleeting contact, but I think I got the impression that I think he was pretty happy with what I did. Yeah, great, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, who do you choose to surround yourself with and has that changed? Um, in some ways it hasn't. I'm still very good friends with um, – I, I, have, I have very old friends, like friends who I went to school with. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's – we've been friends for <clears> – <throat> what's that? 40 years. Um, and I have friends who I worked on jobs with 20 years ago and we're still in touch. Um, so – yeah, I think I I do have that those close friends and and in recent years you become friends with people through school like mm. a, you know a parent parents of our you know uh, other parents of kids who went to school with my daughter and and uh, so yeah quite a few of those have stuck so that's where where life takes you but um I yeah I don't I don't think I I'm a bit pick and stick <laughs> yeah. That's good, though. That's a great quality. Mm. Uh, what drives you now? Do you still have big ambitions? Yeah, yeah, I do. And when I was the, – the last thing that I did was um, – the last sort of big project that I took on was this book, mm. uh, 50 Things to Be Seriously Grateful for Today and yep. 50 Not-So-Serious Things to Illustrate Them, available now on Amazon. <laughs> and um, I remember – and that, that was hard because no, they, these are the things that nobody's making you do it. Mm. You don't have a boss looking over your shoulder. But – I remember thinking, and it's a really valuable thought, when I was doing the Raiders of the Lost Ark show uh, and it was hard and I was doubting myself, I, I do remember saying to myself, this could be one of the best things I've ever done. And clinging to that, that sentence is a very powerful sentence. Mm. And when I was writing the novel, this could be the, one of the best things I've ever done. And, and uh, with that book, the 50 Things book, this could be one of the best things I've ever done. So I, that, I find that a really helpful and powerful thing to tell myself. But mm. I have ideas that are worth sticking with and some that aren't and, and you know i had an idea for a <laughs> i had an idea for a jukebox musical using the songs of spandau ballet <laughs> and i spent about an afternoon on that yeah okay <laughs> uh, before realizing yeah that's not one of the good ideas um it's good to only have spent an afternoon on yes it yes years and years well that's funny you should say that because the other day i ditched a screenplay I, i've been noodling away on for 10 years oh wow yeah what was the thing that you decided to ditch it for um it's just I had a friend read it and give me some notes and he's switched on, he knows about these things and 
I started it. It was like a sport, a Will Ferrell sporting comedy mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I started it ten years ago, and it was about like an arrogant, sexist pig who learns his lesson and gets his comeuppance mm-hmm. and grows and develops and everything. And yeah, it's, the world's changed since then, and sure. it, it, it's just it's out of step. And uh, also, as you know, making a film is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> and I just thought I can direct my energies elsewhere now. Yeah, and so. Hesitate to use the word quit, but you know, I moved on to other things. Um, and yeah, the things that I'm working on at the moment, I'm running a one man show for next year's comedy festival, and I'm uh, probably, you know, I'm going to do a sequel to Sym- Symphony Under Siege, uh, the novel, and and I'm also writing a play for the first time ever, and, and it's a whodunit. And because that that excites me, and this and again, this could be one of the best things I've ever done. I love that. You, you do you not like being comfortable? Do you like continually pushing yourself? I think you have to have I think you have to have stuff to look forward to and mm-hmm. you have to have projects and you have to have I was speaking last night with a friend who's retired and and now nowadays when I'm in between jobs darling resting in the industry darling <laughs> um, I look at I look at those as mini retirements because you know I'm in my 50s and and I think this is a preview of what retirement's going to be and I plan to retire into writing stuff that stimulates and amuses and uh, me and that's the good thing about writing. You, you can sort of do it until you drop, yeah. really. Um, uh, performing, maybe not so much. So, yeah, r- writing is, is, is a thing I, I intend to just retire into writing. Yeah. Um, if you could pinpoint a moment in your life that you think might have had the greatest impact on you, what would that be? Probably my dad leaving. Yeah. I think. Because that was... Yeah, that was I was six, and you know I was a pretty sensitive little soul, and uh, yeah, and then everything changed, obviously, and we went down this path uh, rather than the path that that would have been. Um, and having said that, uh, it's way the, this path is way better than what would have been had he stayed. Uh, he should not have stayed, mm. and uh, so wouldn't wouldn't change it. But I think that I think that can't be sort of. I think that's probably the. the yeah, answer. I think that's probably the answer. Did your mum talk about him a bit? Yeah, 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 yeah a bit. And um, she was very careful not to demonise him. Yeah. Um, and and not to badmouth him and stuff like that. Um, but um, you know, we we reached our own conclusions about him because he he did that himself. Yeah, know? yeah. Do you is is there anything? I mean, you know spoke a little bit before about what keeps you going, what drives you. Do you have anything daily that, you know, a, be- a best piece of advice you've ever been given? Has there anyone ever passed on great knowledge to you? And that, <clears throat> the answer to that must be yes, mustn't it? But, uh, <laughs> what, uh, well, you're thinking of being, you know, wise as you, as you grow older. Uh, yeah. Is there, is there anything that you would, you would tell someone, either getting into the industry or you know, doing a similar thing that, that you've mm. done? I think well, don't don't shut yourself off, and and I think in say say yes, just grab it by the horns, you know, uh, and you know, don't don't be too don't be too proud, and just shut up and listen. Yeah, <laughs> shut up and listen. Uh, sometimes so I'm I'm quite sort of um, annoyed when people who have been there five minutes. Uh, put their hands behind their head and, and say, "Well, of course, you know what I think." I don't. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I don't, shut up. You're yeah. new. You're new here. Yeah. Shut up and listen. I, I, I don't want your opinion. If yeah. I want your opinion, I will ask for it. Yeah. And I do. I'll never forget. I was working on this show, um, and uh, we were. It was a weekly show, and we were writing stuff, and we needed this uh, closing number. And one of the employees on the show came in, sat on the couch, put his hands behind his head, and said, "Yeah, I don't think it's going to fly." <laughs> And I said, ah, okay, Jack, well, um, what do you think we should do instead? And uh, how quickly can we, you know, can, can we get your idea up and running? And he went, oh, um, uh, uh, oh, uh, well, I, um, I'll, have, I'll, I'll get back to you. Now, that was 2011. Uh, <laughs> that's 11 years ago now. <laughs> Haven't heard back from Jack yet. It's just this sort of opinion with nothing to follow it mm. up. Just... Uh, have ideas. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about getting back in front of a crowd um, as a one-man show, doing that again? When was the last time that you were on stage by yourself? 
Um, yeah, that would probably be the last one man show, which was 2014. 2014. Yeah, so that's eight. Was the Indiana Jones show. It was. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so this will be well, eight, nine, nine years after that. Anyway, um, oh, good. I'm excited because because I think I think the show. I'm really happy with the idea and the mm. concept, and it gets it's in my wheelhouse, and it gets to sh- me to show people what I can do. And I, it's that thing of, I remember reading a book about stand-up comedy. It's Joanne Brookfield's one. I think it's called No Apologies. Okay, and um, there were. There was the male version of stand-up, which is, oh, I killed, I'm going out there, I killed, I killed, I died, I died, I I slayed, I killed. And there's the – a woman was making this point that women – or she in particular was saying, I don't go out there, it's not adversarial, it's not us versus them, it's not me versus them. It's – she goes out there with the mindset, and and I've never forgotten this, of I've got something really great that I want to share with you. Mm. I think you're going to like it. And – that's it. And I remember being a 17-year-old stand-up comedian being surrounded by all these other toxic men going, oh, I killed, I killed, and, and getting myself into that headspace where it's me versus them. And it's not. You've got something you're going to show them that they're going to enjoy, and mm. that's, that's how I think about this one, Mantra. That's great. Um, I'm going to end on the same question that I started with. <coughs> Uh-oh. Nature or nurture, do you think you, you think a bit of both? Yeah. 60-40? Yeah, 60-40. Because I think in na- cause nature, um, nature would suggest you, um, heredity, and I don't want to be like my dad. Uh, and I, uh, if if as speaking, he came to my twenty first, and someone was running around with a camera, and they said to him, um, "Come on, a bit of advice for your son on his twenty first birthday." And he looked down the barrel, and he said, "Don't turn out like your dad." And they said, "No, come on, seriously." And he said, "It's the best advice I can give." And I think I've managed that. I think I've not turned out like him. So that's um, – I don't want it to be nature. I, I wouldn't want to be a, a, a copy of him. Uh, I'd much rather be like my mum who nurtured us. So um, that's – I think that's my answer. Stephen Hall, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson and you can follow me, SamPeterson91 on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are Confessions, the podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast Uh, I would love that. It helps get the podcast out there to so many people. Thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard. They're, They're great producers and I couldn't do this without them. Please do share this podcast around. I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible. So please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you really enjoyed hearing their chat. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye. 